Welcome to Kildare Talks, where we listen and learn from the people who work across the county, offering us guidance and support on our health and well-being to help us live healthy and well. My guests today are Siobhan Mangan and Carl Duffy. Siobhan is a Senior Health Promotion Officer with the HSE, working in the Dublin, South Kildare, West Wicklow region. Siobhan is the Staff Health Wellbeing Lead and Coordinator of the HSC Harmonies Choir based in Nice. Siobhan is also qualified in general and paediatric nursing, but now working in health promotion and improvement. Carl is the Rural Development and Health and Wellbeing Manager with County Kildare Leader Partnership. Carl is also qualified in counselling psychology, working in private practice. Carl is also a mindfulness trainer, qualified in mindfulness-based stress reduction programme with the University of Massachusetts Medical School. He maintains a blog called Mindful Balance, which has been named one of the top mindfulness blogs on the planet. Guys, you're both very welcome. Carl, can I jump in just to ask, like, how do you explain mindfulness to people? Well, mindfulness is a form of mind training, a cultivation of some capacities which we all have in the mind, but maybe are not using to the fullness of their possibilities. And this training, in a sense, is based on practices which have developed in contemplative traditions all around the world over thousands of years, and which are now being applied in Western medicine. The core of these practices is meditation practice, and meditation is a translation of a word in the Pali, which means to cultivate. So we're cultivating aspects or qualities of the mind, particularly the ability to be present in the present moment without being continually drawn into regrets about the past or worrying about the future. In another way, relating directly to our experience rather than our thoughts and worries, storytellings about our experience or about how life is going or about ourselves. So is that about keeping us out of our minds, keeping us out of our thoughts? We've no real capacity to turn off our thoughts, as you would know. So it's about changing how we relate to our thoughts and relate to our whole experience. So it's about cultivating a capacity which we all have for awareness. And awareness is slightly broader capacity, kinder capacity than thinking. Thinking tends to formulate our impressions of the world in ideals, in shoulds. I should be this. It should be otherwise than this. The world is this way. My life is going that way. Awareness as a capacity can be aware of our thoughts without necessarily believing all of them or without solidifying our life into what our thoughts are saying at this particular moment. But it's not all about thoughts. It's also the capacity to be aware of our emotions and our bodily sensations as they arise and without hooking into them or without making them more than they need to be. So without adding on to a bodily sensation, a feeling, an emotion which might arise and we add on to it or catastrophize it or identify with it or solidify it and turn it into something about our whole life when it might be just a passing moment or a mood that we get up in the morning with. Is there some people that are better at doing that than others? Do you know why sometimes in life you meet people who say that, you know, they can't sit still, they overthink, they can't focus on one thing at a time? I'm just wondering, is there people that are better in engaging in these types of practices than others? My view is that everyone is capable of the basic practices which are inherent in mindfulness. My experience is that when people say that they're not able to meditate, it's sometimes that they have a distorted view of what that actually means. 
and they imagine themselves having to sit in a certain posture or hold their fingers in a certain way or repeat certain foreign words or things like that and it will produce automatically a relaxation effect. And as John Kabat-Zinn, whose training programme I was trained in, used to say, meditation is not relaxation spelt differently. It's the cultivation of a different way of relating to what is going on in the mind and we're all capable of that. However, some people seem to be naturally a little bit more able to take to some of the practices, yes. And also there are moments in our life when, for example, we see a beautiful sunset or we see a beautiful painting or we're with someone or we're involved in singing or with music or something like that, which more naturally allow us to step out of the conceptual fixing thinking, judging aspect of the mind and to drop into a different part of the mind which is relating directly to our experience and that tends to cultivate in those moments a capacity to be much more present with our experience. Siobhan, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you here for this conversation is because of your relationship with the choirs in Kildare. Can we talk a little bit about the choir, how it got set up, even why it had got set up and what do you see the staff across the HSE gaining from being part of a choir? Yeah, so I coordinate the HSE Harmony Staff Choir, which is based in Nace. And I guess that grew from my own, I suppose, interest and love of music and singing within my life. And I, as the staff health and well need, I really recognise the importance of trying to bring that to the workplace, to bring people together, bring staff groups together, allow them the space and the time to park or leave behind once they come inside of the door of the room or the practice zone, everything that happened within the working day, be it whether it was positive, negative, whatever it was, to come together through the medium of music and song. And as Carol say singing as he mentioned is a very mindfulness practice it allows us to forget about everything that's gone on over the day or over the week or whatever to meet new friends there's a very social aspect of it and the benefits in relation to our own health and well-being is like phenomenal really to be honest we've gained new friends within our choir we're six years up and running now almost six years we've continued to run via zoom when we weren't able to come together and we're back face to face now which is huge excitement huge celebration for us but it's very much for us a huge mindfulness practice every Thursday at half five when we can't wait to get together. Give me an idea of the staff that are involved in it. Like I know your background originally is a nurse. Is there people coming off the wards to... Well, we, we've a, a variety of staff right across the divisions, right across the services in the HSC. We've retirees. We have staff from the hospitals. We have staff from community. It's open to male and female. We have no set criteria around. Our choir is about fun. It's about enjoyment. It's about coming together. We don't have a set criteria. We actually say that we welcome people that sing at all. You know, people say, oh, I couldn't join the choir. I can't really sing, but everybody can sing. Can all, everyone sing? Everybody can sing. Okay. We all sing at different pitches, levels, tones, and that is the essence of what a choir is about. That is the essence of what makes up a choir. Because let's be honest, if everybody sang the same, then it wouldn't sound right. There's no criteria. We don't do auditions. We welcome people with open arms. And the different pitches, the different tones, the better, you know, coming together, yeah. What do you see that it does for the staff in terms from a well-being perspective, like your staff health and well-being lead in terms of well-being then, what do you see that being part of a choir or an activity like that or it may just say this mindfulness state that Carl talks about. Well, it's an opportunity for staff who may never have known each other, may never have met each other as part of maybe their workplace culture or within workplace settings. 
to meet each other now on a totally different level. So outside of their profession, they may be able to connect and have very similar interests that they may never have known. We have opportunities to connect with the community. So we very much are, even though we're a workplace or a staff-based choir, we also really engage with our community, our surrounding communities within Kildare. We value opportunities to link in with other community choirs within other hospitals, other choirs within the community, like dementia-friendly choirs based within NACE. We've been invited by local community Garda to sing within community events that are on in the recent years. So it's very much we bring people from the workplace or staff from the workplace to come together as a sort of like a separate community within the workplace setting and then bring them from that workplace setting out to link in within the local community that they share or that they live in and that they're part of. Does this enrich a workplace? Oh, it very much enriches a workplace. I suppose it fosters a culture of really seeing the importance of well-being and health being on the agenda all the time as part of what we do, as part of every day of where we work. So people will bring their experience in the choir back to wherever they work, their site, their hospital, their community centre, whatever it is, and then begin that conversation around the importance of how that being involved in the choir makes them feel, how it improves their health and well-being. And then it may build on other areas and other initiatives that we could link with those people outside of the choir within their work site to foster that culture and importance around wellness at work and a healthy workplace. So it opens up another whole world, even outside of the choir itself, on that world that those people live in and work in every day, aside of when they're there on a Thursday evening, and opportunities for us to link with them um, as a staff health and wellbeing team within the region. I suppose the opportunities are endless, even from the choir, as regards the community or the workplace community itself within the HSC. Carol, can I ask, if singing makes you feel a certain way, like what is the, what's the feeling then that people get from practising in mindfulness or a meditation? I think a lot of the aspects there which Siobhan talked about there are deeply mindful or meditative practices in the sense that when people take part in the choir, they're able to switch off from the doing, fixing, running part of the brain and drop into a part of the brain or their system which is concentrated on the here and now. So you're letting go of a capacity which we have as humans to respond to our world and particularly challenging situations by thinking too much about it and over-ruminating. So you're creating a space where you're dropping out of that and dropping into a space where you're just present with your own experience and you're enjoying it, which is, is very important. So you're connecting with your inner self, but in the choir context as well, I think we're connecting with others. And I think mindfulness allows us to cultivate kind of three or four different connections. One is connection with ourselves, connecting with others. Now, you might say that's a bit strange if you're meditating by yourself, but in a certain sort of sense, a lot of meditative practices take place in a group. But you're also connecting with nature because there's a lot of informal practices about walking in nature, which are connected with the mindful practice. And you're connecting with meaning or a higher purpose in some ways. So the choir is cultivating, I think, those areas of connection, which are hugely important in stress management. So I would see that some of the aspects of which are happening when the choir comes together are what are being nourished in formal mindfulness practice. But mindfulness practices are divided precisely into formal practices and informal practices. And informal practices are practices which we can do all through the day. Give me an example of that then. Fairly classic ones that are used at the start of mindfulness training is to see if you can pay attention when you're in the shower 
you know, most of us sometimes go into the shower and we spend the moments in the shower planning the day or just getting a few minutes peace and quiet from whoever else is in the house. So one mindfulness practice is to become consciously aware of the water, the smell of the soap or the shampoo or those sorts of things so that you're fully present in the activity that you're doing so that you're not always postponing life for some time in the future and it kind of slowly teaches us that life is and happiness can be available in the here and now. So those sort of things are one which I particularly like is when you go for a walk, instead of walking and fixing all the stuff of the day, and I'm sure this is the experience of people when they come to the choir, because the choir takes over their activity and they cannot be thinking of what they were thinking of. So it brings mind and body and awareness together. A lot of the day we go through where our mind is miles ahead of our bodies, and then we wonder why we're pains in our necks or pains in our jaws, because we're not aware of it half the time, because we're living in one part of our system, almost like living in the attic of the house up the top of our heads. You mentioned stress management there. I'm very mindful that lots of workplaces sometimes bring in facilitators to run like a four-week or six-week session with staff on mindfulness. Does mindfulness play an effective role in stress management in your view, even within the workplace setting? Yeah, mindfulness is one set of skills. There are other skills and other ways, and it doesn't appeal to everyone. I've offered mindfulness training in different workplace settings, and some people come to it and some people have no resonance with it on. So it's just one set of skills. But a formal training program like that teaches people interior skills to relate better to their experience. At this stage, an incredible amount of research which shows that when people do these formal mindfulness trainings, normally over six or eight weeks, that they experience a reduction in stress, anxiety, and an increase in ability to relate to their lives and to focus. Does the singing help with stress management, Siobhan? I'm just mindful of if you have staff, say, working in a really busy hospital, does singing help? with the sort of reduction of stress and to cope with some of the challenges that a, a hospital environment can bring to staff? Oh, it does. Very much so. Very much so. And, and even the feedback on a continuous basis that we get from staff that sing within our choir is huge. And they tell us really clearly that they really look forward to being in the choir and coming to the choir on a Thursday. Is that opportunity to leave it all behind, to leave it all behind and come into that space and be very much present in that mindful experience, as Carla said, where the music, the singing, the whole social piece of being together with a common interest allows them to leave all that behind and then that in turn being very much a stress reduction exercise or very much a stress reduction experience and as well as that I suppose the real importance in relation and I suppose the choir is just one aspect or one initiative in relation to staff health and wellbeing but it's around culture change and it's around behaviour change within work sites within hospitals like for us we've sang within the hospital as a choir within our local hospital in, in Kildare, as well as the staff that are involved, the pride of being in their own workplace and being able to sing as part of that group and a common interest, as well as we'd hope, we don't say it's not who we sing for, it's who we sing with. So we come in and we sing within a site, in this case the hospital, and we sing with everybody that's around us. We sing with our group, we sing with the visitors that come in, we sing with the patients that are there on the wards. And we'd hope that in turn would be a stress reliever for everybody involved, everybody that has the ability to be able to listen and be involved as part of that session or that day or that night. Singing is very much a stress reliever or stress reduction, most definitely, yeah. And I think it also brings something which is very much in harmony with the human spirit, particularly in stressful work environments. Like it is very difficult for someone to go from a very, very busy day and to expect them to be able to move into 20 or 30 minutes of sitting silently. 
because the energy is in a different place. And therefore, we'll say walking meditation might be much more appropriate at something like that because it's a transition, a slow, allowing energy to descend and people to relax. But singing, in many ways, is an ideal opportunity for people to move from being scattered and busy and stressed. And it kind of provides a container which allows the energies then to descend and people to feel at one inside themselves again. So it's probably a much more effective way of doing meditation in the broader sense after a very hectic work day and in a very hectic work environment like a hospital than expecting someone to be able to go immediately into stilling the mind through just sitting and concentrating on their breathing. If someone's doing a walk in meditation, how do they do that? Like, what are the things that they're saying to themselves? Again, it's very similar in the sense that what is really nice about the choir is that this happens kind of spontaneously. Nobody kind of says, now, while you're singing, you're not to be thinking, you know, because there's, firstly, I think there's something in the voice producing harmonies which seems to have a psychological effect because singing and chanting have been present in meditative traditions all through millennia. But in walking meditation, there's two ways of doing walking meditation. One is with uh, what's called one-pointed focus. So you're focusing on the bodily action and when you notice that you're going back into your worries about the day you just simply say I'm supposed to be walking which is feeling the feet on the ground you know you're using the movement of the feet particularly the soles of the feet to consciously bring the mind back from your worries and your thoughts so that's kind of narrow focus. The other one is a little bit wider, more similar to what would be happening in the choir. You, again, are giving the thinking mind a bit of a break, but you're noticing the flowers and the trees and the smells and nature if you're doing it outside. So you're kind of directing your awareness and giving the thinking, storytelling, worrying, fixing part of the brain a bit of a break. And that's, I'm sure, what the choir does. It provides those moments of strengthening and anchoring the system away from our normal way of relating to our life, which is that we overthink it. What more can workplaces do, Siobhan, to help promote health and well-being among staff, among workers, among employees? Well... The reality is everybody within a workplace has a responsibility to foster well-being as part of the way they work, as part of their day-to-day work, as part of the day-to-day connection with people that they come in contact with in the workplace. The biggest thing around that is communication, you know, engaging with your staff, engaging with your peers, your colleagues, those within your team or those that you manage. And the importance of allowing that to grow managers given the time for staff that are genuinely interested, you know, in change and the culture within work sites to be more healthier workplaces, for health to be on the agenda, for there to be a greater focus for staff and engagement, communication engagement for me is the key thing. So from every level of employees within workplace, be it top management down to frontline workers, we all have the right to be healthy within our workplace. We all have the right to be able to access, to be an ability to be able to change our behaviours within that work work site and for that to be enabled or for that to be supported is key. So communication, engagement, allowing the time, seeing the importance, that's what I would say and build on it from there. You bring people, it's like the choir, you're bringing people with a very common interested focus in relation to singing for your well-being. Within a work site you're bringing staff together, you're opening up communication to say, you know, your health is important to me as a manager and how can I enable you?
enable you or how can I enable us within this workplace to foster that, to make it very much part of the way we work, to build it in as part of everything we do. And, you know, the reality is healthier staff, healthier workplace, healthier outcomes, and then a healthier community then that you link with, be it whether within your, your workplace community or those that you link with every day as part of your job. So you're talking about a culture then within a workplace? It's very much a culture. It's very much about behavioural change within the culture around staff's ability to be able to talk to each other about that, to communicate about that, to see how they can come together and improve that and build on that and look for opportunities to be able to change their behaviours to be healthier, more healthier ones and their culture to be healthier. And what blocks that? Like, what are the things that get in the way of workplaces being able to build that type of culture? Uh, management support, I guess, is a big thing. A lack of communication. It's going back to what I said. So lack of communication, lack of support. Time is a massive thing. But again, that's back to cultural change. We have to make time. Everybody's really busy and, you know, things may not be very high in the agenda. But it's up to us as staff within a worksite to change that, to make the time. And if we start that process of just even, you know, building a small amount of time every day or every week or within, if you have a health and safety group together that health is very much or health and well-being is very much built into that so you make that time you make the health of your staff or the health of your service or the health of your workplace be as important as that business or that other business that's part of the way you work so we have to change that we have to make that time it has to be very much part of the way we work life's busy carl right so time is part of the world it's it's a rare commodity how do we make time? I'm sort of thinking of you know people with busy lifestyles, whether it be parents, you know, professionals, you know, whatever. How do we create time to practice something like mindfulness within our day-to-day lives? There's a paradox at the heart of your question, which is that when we get stressed, the mind frequently encourages us that we don't have time for certain things which would be good for us. Like a classic example, you're very stressed during the week, you get invited to a party at the weekend. A party would be probably the best thing for you to go and meet people and things like that. But your brain says to you, oh, I'm under too much pressure, I have to do this, I have to do that. And you turn down the invitation to the party. So we're not that good at choosing some of the things which actually would be good for our health. And sometimes we get so tired when we come home in the evening that the only thing that we choose are distraction sort of of strategies such as watching TV or or watching a movie or harmful sort of strategies such as overindulging in alcohol or in eating or something like that. It's not automatically easy that the healthy practices will develop. So I think in a similar way, Siobhan was talking there about the need to structure these things in work based on a holistic view of all our needs and not just our efficiency needs, which are prioritised in work. We also have to structure a little bit some of these things for ourselves at home so that not all our activities are depleting us, but some activities are nourishing us. Now, they don't have to be formal meditation sort of practices. They can be a walk in nature. And we certainly were encouraging people all through the recent pandemic to take time for themselves outdoors. But also it can be as simple as taking a cup of tea in the morning and having five minutes with that cup of tea where you tune completely into the drinking of the cup of tea, the warmth of the cup in your hands, just creating a moment or two to anchor us which I'm very sure is what is happening in the choir as well. We're getting that space where we can centre and anchor ourselves. 
and then are in a better position to go back into work or to continue on with the day. So a simple cup of tea can be the most mindful activity we could have or a cup of coffee because we are tuning into this moment with the coffee or the tea, the taste, the smell, the warmth of the cup and so on and so forth, the sensation in the hands and we're letting go for a few moments of the continual running and worrying. Small moments like that throughout the day 60 seconds, three breaths of a pause, interrupt the mind's capacity just to keep running and they nourish us and bring us back to ourselves. So is our mind then convincing us that we don't have time? Is our mind convincing us that more stress than what maybe we think we have? Yeah, we've, we've a very, as Paul Gilbert would say, who wrote, writes about self-compassion in the UK, we've a very tricky brain. It's evolved over billions of years to keep us safe and it privileges scanning for danger and focusing on danger. So when we get busy or we get stressed, ironically, the mind narrows and it focuses on the problem because that's what it thinks it has to do. And because of that, we have to drop into practices which nourish other parts of our system, not just the mind. That's why the singing works. That's why going for a walk works, because it takes us away from that very narrow focus on the problem which we think and our system and our brains have evolved to think is the only way to fix it. And we have a negativity bias, as writers talk about, in the sense that we tend to have to notice dangerous things to keep us alive better than the more pleasurable things in a certain sense. So we tend, when we get stressed, to focus on coping strategies which get narrower and narrower. And therefore, mindfulness and other practices like singing and going for walks in nature and things like that broaden us out into a, a more body-based response to our problems or to the challenges of life. So our mind is misleading us. It frequently, it needs to be trained. And that's what basically, as I said, the start mindfulness is a cultivation of capacities in the mind which don't necessarily come naturally. And secondly, in the modern world with the emphasis on connectivity and 24-7 and getting news cycles and bad news all the time, it ironically reinforces some of the negative capacities of the mind. Also, very interesting listen to Carl saying that. I can really identify what he was saying about the walking mindfulness piece, even a simple thing within a workplace around the way we conduct meetings, the way we conduct communications and how we plan that, that very structured way around it has to be in a room, we sit around a table. No, it doesn't. We can look at team meetings or gatherings together staff. We can do that through walking. We can go outside, you know, use that nice, today been a nice spring, sunny day, to go outside and hold that meeting or have that meeting outside. You, you were bringing in a certain amount of that mindfulness piece there. So we're out in the fresh air, we're having a conversation, we're having a communication whatever is the business in this case of the group as well as the ability to be able to build in the health piece and the ability to be able to get outside and enjoy which will have a huge knock-on effect in relation to that group's health and well-being. We need to think differently within workplaces around there is that ability to be able to do things differently to allow that time to all say okay and obviously someone needs to take ownership of that or needs to be the communicator to say right let's do it differently today let's let's take this meeting outside let's go for a walk. That really is a big cultural change then. It's a mass, it's, it's all about communication, engagement, cu changing the culture. Change, we don't have to do things the way we've always done them. That change to a holistic view of the person who is in work, not just the, the working part of the person, but it is a person who is here, needs to come in structural ways. And just to give a little example, I'm extremely grateful in my current work situation
Corporation and County Kildare Leader Partnership that the mindfulness group that meets during work time and that has been supported since we set up the group. In other words, it's not considered that you work when you're in work. It's only focused on certain aspects of you and relaxation or healthy activities are there relegated to the weekend or something like that. It's trying to build structures in our workday which acknowledges these different aspects. And I think the way we do meetings, the way we talk to one another, plus formally structuring activities during the workday, which place an emphasis on, on physical health, on eating well and on space for your downtime, acknowledging that this is part of being human rather than thinking that when we're in work, we're only the thinking efficient part of the person. Can I ask Siobhan just a little bit about the singing in the choir? I'll maybe ask you to put on your nursery hat for a second. I can imagine there's healing elements to singing, especially within a medical setting like a hospital. Even for you know people who are in hospital, listening to the sound of song coming up through the, the corridors. Oh, absolutely. And that's what I was saying earlier on in relation to we love an opportunity to be able to sing with people. So those that may not be in a position to physically engage with us as are are be present within that choir group, but to gain within themselves to be able to hear us, to be able to sing maybe within that hospital ward or even example within a work site. So where we sing every Thursday, I got a really nice email in the last few days from one of my colleagues within the building of where we sing in Nace, who just said that she couldn't believe when she actually heard the choir singing. She wasn't aware of the choir being there. Last week was her first week back. Just she said she opened the door and this beautiful sound and how it felt for her, how there was a huge benefit for her. So much so that it led her to actually now join us in the choir. And she said just to hear this music out of nowhere and to hear the song, the sound, our engagement, our laughing probably as well as a group together, our warm-ups, our exercises. So absolutely, those that may just because you're not directly involved in the choir or singing as part of that group doesn't mean that the benefits aren't so much broader than that for those. And again, I say we sing with people. We don't sing for people. We sing with them because they're with us in a different capacity. So our ability as singers to come together is much broader than we ever probably thought at the time when we came together. And now we have a much bigger understanding. So we welcome opportunities to sing within nursing units, within communities, within hospitals. Like that's very much part of of who we are and what we want. Our benefits to be much even broader than just for us ourselves. Possibly not the most common sound within a workplace, like the sound of music, say the sound of choir music. That's something that you'd associate within a school you would associate within a church, maybe around the town squares at Christmas time, but it wouldn't be the most common sound during the working day in the workplace. But so I can imagine it'd be quite an uplifting sound. Absolutely. But it should be part of a workplace. It's, there's no reason as to why it shouldn't be. So it's part of every other setting, as you've just mentioned, communities, homes, churches. They're all other settings. The workplace is just another one of those settings. So it should be very much part of that. And that's, again, the culture change that we need to think differently around how a workplace should be. And we need to enable that more. So singing should be very much part of a workplace. We should hear music. We should hear music in canteens where people come to have their lunch. We should hear music playing in the bar. It, it, it most definitely enhances. It doesn't have any negative outcome. It, it, it very much enhances. So it, it should be. And, we, and it's up to us to change that. And I guess we, in our small way, are changing that within our workplace. You know, our chief officer came down and looked in the door and said, oh, you know, to us last Thursday when we came back, that two years later, we're all back together. And 
it was great. So she really embraces that. She encourages that, as does our head of service within health and wellbeing. And we need to change that. It should be. And from here on, we should be really encouraging that music should be very much part of workplaces and we should be able to hear it and people benefit from it. I've heard that so many times. And those that are at work upstairs in our building, it helps them, it aids them. And we very much had that feedback. So, yeah, that's up to us to change that, really. I want to finish off with a couple of questions, Siobhan. So first one for you is, what piece of advice would you give someone who is really interested, maybe interested, it's not the right word, but are curious about joining the choir, but they were told, you know, by a school teacher when they were eight years old that they can't sing, but they would still like the benefits or to experience the benefits that you talked about? What piece of advice would you give them to help them take that step forward to become of a workplace choir or even any choir, whether it be within a a local community choir or a local church choir? What would that piece of advice be? Because there are people who, first of all, think that they can't sing. And very often, in my experience, those people have been told by a teacher when they were young that they can't sing, that they should maybe sit in the back, you know, with the triangle (laughs) or the tambourine. It's funny because that is said to me constantly by people who would say, oh, I've listened to the choir, I've heard you sing, oh, it sounds great, but but I can't sing. So I have a line for that. I have, everybody can sing. We all sing at different pitches, tones, levels. That is what a choir is about. If you think back around music and singing and outside of the choir, at home, we sing in the shower, you know, we turn on the radio, we sing, we move without even realising to music. I would say, give it a try. Come and join a choir. Come and join us if you're within the HSE around Dublin, South Kildare, West Wicklow. We'd love to have you on board, but give it a try. Give it a go. Don't have that negative stall. Take the step. Take the jump. Get involved. And the benefits are just huge. The fun is unbelievable. The connections are great. So give it a go. Forget about that line that you were told you can't sing. It's like you can't sing, you can't dance. You can. You can. Everybody can. Just give it a go. Carl, my last question for you then. What one or two steps can we take to integrate the practice or the idea of mindfulness into our daily lives to get some of the benefits from it? Well, effectively, it's just to practice taking very short moments to drop out of the thinking mode of relating to the day and drop into the supports offered by our body and by our breathing. Now, how we do that practically? Well, take one minute at the start of the day and to sit down and to feel feet on the ground and to sit upright and then to notice that you're breathing in and breathing out. So to use the action of the breath, three or four breaths, just to notice breathing in and breathing out and to place the attention there for one minute. A bit like singing, everybody has the capacity to notice, to notice their feet on the floor, to notice the touch of their hands, to notice their breathing. Meditation and mindfulness is as simple as that. It's strengthening our capacity to be present to our breathing. So simply notice the in-breath is going in and the out-breath is going out, which is one of the areas meditation instructions that exists. And we simply say, as I breathe in, I calm the body. As I breathe out, I relax the body. And then we can reduce them to when we breathe in, we use the word calm, And as we breathe out, we use the word relax. And just repeating them, those words five times, sends a signal, the body sends a signal up to the brain that things are not as bad as we think they are. Carl, I know that you've agreed to do a little guided meditation for us after this. But until then, guys, thank you so much for coming in to chat today. 
Thank you. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed our conversation and I look forward to your next podcast. Until then, Slongo Foyle.